Okay, I'm recording on my end. Are you recording on your end? Okay. We could kill a gentleman in his bed. Fucking amen. Okay, you are. I am ready to begin when you are. All right. Welcome to Timber Sycamore Season 2, Episode 5, where we are going to be discussing the coup in Chile and its after effects under Pinochet. Okay, I am your host, Tyson Dupree. And I am Michael Petroselli. So do you want to get us started here, or I have the, so the theory that I come with with this specific topic was related to the write-up that I did on WFUF. We talked a little bit about that in the episode on the Chicago Boys, uh, just with the economic plan that was put forward in Chile, as now has the United States. There's a great study out there by uh, Dana Ricardo Clark, I believe is his name, um, also a Chicago Boy, sort of an anti-Chicago Boy in the sense that he was uh, critiquing a lot of Supreme Court suspects that are held in the United States and the neat little economic history of Chile during this time period, apparently he would have better ideas, better, he'd be in a better position to explain what Chile was than Middleton and Bernie were at the time. Yeah, so the political struggle during the period uh, is really developed beforehand, as with all things, right? They don't just come from nowhere. Um, so Allende takes power and it is very non-controversial. Mm-hmm. He wins overwhelmingly. He has widespread support and is well-loved by the populace. Non-controversial in Chile. Yes. As opposed to in America. And in the days leading up to the revolution, ostensibly in the United States, was also supposed to be non-controversial. That is the presentation that is being made within the government itself. Mm-hmm. However, uh, one of Allende's most vocal critics... Uh, is his nephew. Oh. Well, he's a particular kind of critic, right? Yes, he is a critic from the left. He is a critic of the Marxist government. Yes, he is a Marxist. What's his name? Uh, ooh. This is an interesting little anecdote that I brought with me. Yeah. Um, I bet you guys didn't know about this. So, his name is uh, Andres Allende. Andres Allende. So Andres makes the argument from the beginning that Pinochet or that uh, Allende. Allende is making a mistake by not purging the reactionary elements from the military, mm-hmm. which proves to be more and more true as time goes on. Up until the 1970s when he was assassinated. Yes. Mm-hmm. And at its core was something that Allende would never do. Allende is ultimately a reformer. He is a good person. He means well. He is still trapped by the fact that bourgeois politics does not allow you to remove from power the bourgeois. Mm-hmm. His nephew is not. His nephew also has the luxury of not having to hold a country together. Right. People forget that this is a difficult thing to do. It is, yes. Especially in a country where anywhere from 10 to 18% of the military is also sympathetic to the communist revolutionaries. So the issue is that, in part, the military leadership was already on guard. MRI was broadly calling for them to disobey orders, and in specific, to disobey orders to carry out a coup against Allende. Mm -hmm. 
And they were awards and those were given in order to tell stories. Uh, from generals. From generals. So this, oh. this, so this would be, they were not the generals. These orders are coming from the people who are higher up in command because they were trusted and they didn't come from generals. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. They come from people like Pinochet in opposition to people like General Carlos Prats. So is Pinochet a general by this time period? Uh, he is not yet. Although he is like developing the generalissimo, he is more so generalissimo than he is general. But he isn't a Chilean military officer. He is a high-ranking Chilean military officer. Yes. Okay. Um, so there are two men that are removed from the Chilean military. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them steps down and ultimately is executed anyway, mm-hmm. and the other is kidnapped and assassinated. He is killed by men who are armed by the U.S. The U.S. then argues that they have nothing to do with his assassination. They then pay the kidnapper $35,000 to keep his relationship with the CIA quiet. Okay. That is Rene's share. He is one of the few people in this story who will have a German last name. And one of the few. In Chile. Oh. And who is also on the side of, like, democracy in Chile. Yes, Scherer's few and far between. But Scherer's not even a left winger. He's a right winger, ostensibly. He's just like again. He's like he refuses to be right wing when it matters to him. Basically, he is true to the Constitution. Is yeah. what it is. He's a he's a big big law and order guy. Yeah, he's a strict constitutionalist. Right. Okay. In not in like the Scalia sense, but in like the Jeffersonian sense, almost. Yeah. No. He just like again. He has his opinions about how things should be done, and he believes in in the rule of law. And Yes. Would be your contention. Yes. The Chilean military is, by oath, bound to protect the Constitution, which guarantees democratic elections. Okay. Therefore, his role as general is to protect Allende. Uh, At this point, there is a report that is issued out of the CIA uh, where they say that um, Rene Scherer's primary issue is that he is excessively devoted to democracy. He is excessively devoted to democracy. Yes. What does that mean? Uh, that he believes in it. At okay. All. <laughs> like he's not Pinochet. Okay. Um, his the CIA makes a claim at various points in time that they only knew there was going to be a kidnapping. They didn't know there was going to be an assassination. That said, not sure how you can kidnap a general and not kill him. Uh, so, what did, so what did they want with him? What was the idea? To keep him out of his position while the coup happened. Okay. So he can't give contrary orders to the military because he is commander-in-chief at this point. Or, okay. uh, Pratt's is Carlos, commander-in-chief, and then he steps down, Rene Scherer takes that role. Okay. So Pratt's is a true Allende loyalist. So not, not a per- constitutionalist, but someone who is like legitimately sympathetic to Allende. Yes, sympathetic to socialist ideals. He's sympathetic to Peron as well at various points in time. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Peron is sympathetic to Allende as well, so that all kind of tracks. Um, Carlos Prats is a good man who is objectively assassinated by diners, illegally, Mm -hmm. internationally. We get to that a little bit later, but Scherer is the important one. So... 
perhaps was assassinated by Dunmore as part of this Condor plan. Yes. Okay. After he had already, keep this in mind, stepped down from his role, he is no longer the commander-in-chief, even during the coup. He does this as a concession to the right, mm -hmm. ostensibly to keep peace, because they are mad that there is such a large portion of the military mm -hmm. that are loyal to either MRI, uh, the Revolutionary Movement of the Left, Movimiento Re uh, Revolucionario de Izquierdas, mm -hmm. or to Allende himself. Okay. Uh, as with most countries, this kind of old guard military tends to be conservative. And so it's, so it's like a question of tokenism at this point. Yes. Like you want some, and that's why uh, Rene Farah is chosen? Yes. Somebody who is, like is because ostensibly he's objective. Right? He's a compromise candidate, yeah. Right. Um, Kratz steps down. Okay. Which almost directly paves the way for everything that is to come. With him so still in power, if he had stayed, mm -hmm. his orders would have been the primary orders for the military. He would have been the commander-in-chief of the Joint Chiefs. But Rene Farah is at some point um, kidnapped? Rene Farah is quiet first. Okay, like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say this till years out? He thinks that if he can give it some time, some of these old guard right-wing conservative generals will, if not like him, cool off on him. Okay. Which is an understandable mistake to make, I guess. Like, you already think... Like, these people already agreed to have you put in power. Yes, of course. Realistically, this is part of the reason that they have him put in power is because Ferrer is not Kratz. He is going to let them do... Have a little bit more leeway than Carlo Kratz did. Mm -hmm. The result is the same anyway. Uh, three U.S.-provided submachine guns are used to execute him in the bed of a... In the trunk of a car in the middle of the night while he is on his way home from work. This is done? Yes. Okay, so now there's a meeting at this at that, about a month. Correct. So there's an emergency meeting of the Joint Chiefs, who at this point are already plotting a coup. Uh, and to this one, Pinochet shows up. Okay. Who is late to this party. Okay, evidently, yeah. The Joint Chiefs were already planning their coup. Mm -hmm. Somehow, Pinochet comes out on top. Like, the internal framework on how that actually happened never seems to be super clear. Apparently, coup plotters don't write down, like, minutes for their meetings. So Pinochet is the chosen successor. Yes. Okay. Uh, and there's, like, an internal struggle over that, briefly. At this, at this point in the discussions. Because they have to choose someone pretty quickly. Yeah, between the them, there's some struggle. Originally, they agreed to a council where it's going to be, like, four of them. And later... Uh, which works for about 24 hours, and then Pinochet's like, mm, actually, I'm king. Fuck you. Uh, in the days that followed, the... Uh, so actually, MRI got notorious before this, because they were allied closely with the Tucumaros, mm -hmm. who at this point have already kidnapped Dan Mitrian. Okay. And if we're naming a single person who deserves to be tortured or who deserves to be kidnapped, it is probably Dan Mitrion. Uh, they kidnapped Dan Mitrion because he is a State Department official okay, who was responsible for training torture squads during Operation Phoenix mm -hmm. and has now been training torture squads in Latin America. Okay. So he is not a random target. Like, that is how he gets presented. They're like, oh, this is a State Department guy who was just hanging out at the embassy and minding his own fucking business, as always. Mm 
you know, was Blowtorch Bob and fucking Klaus Barbie, uh, while they were all hanging out together, just having a good time, uh, got kidnapped by these horrible left-wing guerrillas. Well, they leave out the part where these people are fucking roaming around torturing people. Okay. Um, so, Fry, who is the former president, uh, is somewhere between, like... Is it Fry or Frey? Uh, if it's German, it should be Fry. Is it Fry? When I and Ego walked in, the second one does the talking. When I and Ego walked in, the second one does the talking. I never heard that. Yeah, it's my mnemonic for it. Oh, okay. Perfect. Good plug. Um, he's like Olympic president, honestly. He's fucking useless this whole time. Uh, he <laughs> like he neither he refuses to take a solid political line. He refuses to take stances for or against Allende. He refuses to take stances for or against Pinochet. So he's he's the previous president of Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what party did you come from? Uh, Christian Democrat. Which is different from Cuba, uh, from Peru, Allende, right? Yes. I would imagine. Yeah, Allende is not Christian Democrat. Is it, is it the only party then? The CD is the only – the CD is split over the two eventually. Oh, really? Yeah, because there's the branch that backs Bernardo Leighton and Letelier, mm-hmm. uh, and the branch that just integrates into the – Into Pinochet, yeah. Yeah. Um, the actual factions that comprise Pinochet's government – are the Chicago Boys, mm-hmm. uh, the Gremialists, who are uh, an old nationalist movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are led by a man named Jaime, Gun- Jaime Guzman. Uh, he's the intellectual leader of Gremialismo and uh, and a direct advisor to Pinochet. Uh, they, again, are this kind of like Catholic integralist pseudo group. Uh, eventually, they split with Pinochet, kind of, because it turns out that he cares more about money than God. Yeah. I, I know you're shocked. <laughs> I mean, we, we mentioned that during the Argentina episode that they were, like, essentially the Oriental Civil Alliance, but they are essentially opposed to one another, and they would be they would be aligned with Obama if Pinochet were to win. Yes. Whereas, like, like Argentina's very, very, very heavily invested in the integralist argument. Yeah, it has a very Portuguese character to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Peru is basically a Islamist. I mean, it, I'm a little bit of... I'm a little bit biased based on everything I've read about Cuba, but it's it's even even like above the political outskirts, they they take that line that like Cuba's like free man and everything like that. Yeah, it's very it's very clear. Yeah, it is like very tied to this liberalization process. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to them, so Catholic universities are the base for the Gremialists. Uh, we have the De- Independent Democratic Union and the National Party. Uh, National Party is born out of national action, uh, which is a combination of portalismo, corporatism. It's influenced heavily by a man named Serrano, who uh, hangs out with Savitri Devi and Julius Evola throughout most of the 40s and 50s. The most arcane sects out there, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, most of them are esoteric hit lists. and Jorge Pratt, who is not related to Carlos Pratt, different last name, P-R-A-T. Related to Oliver Pratt? Oh, I didn't even think to check. Um, I didn't check. I just assumed. All right, I'm going to check that now. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> uh, at one point, the National Action Party just calls their uh, ideology Nazista. Nazista? Yeah. What is that? Okay. Nazism. That's, that's, okay, so it is Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up Hitler. 
Yeah, that's pretty naked. Uh, then we have the Liberal Party, which is primarily classical liberals, the, you know, right libertarian types. Uh, and then the United Conservative Party, which is the Christian Conservative Party, which is the post-Christian Democrats, mm-hmm. merging with a party that is just called the Traditional Conservative Party. Okay. Uh, the Radical Democracy Party used to be on the left wing of Chilean politics. They moved right over the period of 1920 to 1960. Uh, and the Communist Party is dead. Day one of Pinochet's regime. Any particular reason for that? I think they're communists. Yeah. Like, that is... I did, why did I ask that question? I wonder why you did. There's not even... Li- well, like, a lot of times they put a veneer on things, right? Yeah, they do. They do. So, the like, communism is straight up against, like, unlawful communism. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the states in the United States that still you aren't allowed to hold office in if you're a communist, because there are several of them. Is South Carolina one of those? Uh, probably. Oh, damn. They I do it under this guise that you are... So the you're laws subver- were you're a subversive. Yeah. The laws were written that you could be a Soviet spy. Yeah. I don't know what their excuse is now because that's clearly not true. Um, Cuban spy. Ch- Chinese. Probably. No, that's almost certainly going to be the. Yeah, that is. That is like, which is so funny because like you can imagine like getting power killing for laser IG to steal for laser IG. Like again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to know because, like, again, uh, people always talk about – I mean, anybody really can talk about their opinions and not have to live in a particular scenario where it's like – people talk about Chinese imperialism or Russian imperialism or Iranian imperialism, but we could just <coughs> rise for any of those. Yes, the uh, yes the, uh, the very uh, – the covert plot by the Iranian government to take over the country completely accidental. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, and the final one in the group of eight is the uh, National Democratic Party, which used to be the party of Con- Carlos Ibanez dos Campos, who is uh, in many ways a national hero. He has kind of a mixed legacy as the most political leader, mm-hmm. uh, but again, he is kind of this pro-democracy nationalist type. He's a good guy. He's got a white hat on. Yeah. It may be a gray hat. We don't know. It's gray, but, like, he means well. Uh, it is all organized, of course. Is he better than is, is he better than whoever heads that for him? Like, you, you mentioned that that would be a good kind of headline if you were going to give it to I'm going to say yes because okay. the National Democratic Party pushes far right, but also— I mean, they pushed far right enough to become um, presidential. Yes. So, so that happened. Uh, so he's succeeded by Jorge Rodriguez, who's the 27th president from 58 to 64. Is he a good guy? I'm not really sure. Yeah, we'll just leave that question uh, open for people to come back and answer. Oh, he uh, originally is Allende's main opponent, but then he ends up speaking out against Pinochet's government. Okay. So, so his party is Andrew Kent. Yeah, so probably okay. a right-wing liberal. Okay, so, you know. But still a liberal, which is I mean, the preferential option here. Yeah, right-wing liberal, like, you know, you just, yeah. Yeah, I take Ron Paul over Peter Thiel any day of the week. Um, that's true. Well, he's, like, the same kind of national conservative that, like, doesn't see the purpose in government regulations, but does see the purpose in, like, 
brutal exploitation of the poor. Well, uh, yeah, Peter Hinkle, Peter Sagan, he would be like a professional exploitation exploitation. Yeah, it'd take some heat. He'll get there. So it's not organized directly by the CIA. The CIA at this point is not given permission until Allende removes ExxonMobil from Chile to engage directly. At this point, they are running this through a company called ITT, International Telephone and Telegraph. Their role in this coup is exposed by uh, newspaper columnists, longtime investigative journalists, and former Clinton OSS member with a lot of the guys who are in charge of the CIA now, Jack Anderson, who is uh, that name is something. a great and heroic journalist and deserves credit for that. I can disagree with him politically. The fact is uh, he used his OSS connections the best way you can which is sit down for lunch with, like, James Jesus Angleton, James Hendrews Angleton and uh, fucking Bill Donovan, mm-hmm. and then publish the information you get at lunch. <laughs> which, like, if you're going to do it, that's how you do it. Um, so in the congressional report that is – because his article prompts a congressional investigation. Mm-hmm. It's a 27-page investigation by – Congress into ITT's actions just in Chile, and this is what produces allegations against Nixon that he stacked the judiciary in their favor later, Okay, uh, which kind of precedes Watergate in a lot of ways. That said, everyone always knew Nixon was a crook. Mm-hmm. Like Nixon gets given his hunting dog as a gift. A spider putt up there, yeah. And he goes up and gives that cheesy fucking speech on TV where he's like, her name is Spot. I think we're going to keep her. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, but like. Fucking Gloria Zell, dude. And it worked. That was the worst part. It worked. Did people, what did people think about it? Uh, uh, he was like a, a reunited guy all of a sudden. It was just like, oh, look at this sweet. Look at this sweet old man who looks like the fucking greasiest guy you've ever seen in your in life. In his obit, what did Thompson say? Oh. Did anyone ever like just like completely in awe of the fact that Richard Nixon managed to win an election? So Hunter S. Thompson mentions that the only elec- election Nixon ever loses is the first one he has to hold in, on TV. And it's because in every one of his debates, everyone who only heard Nixon thought he won. Yeah. No, and everyone who watched Nixon thought he lost. Thought he had the morals of a weasel on speed. That's the exact phrasing that Thompson used for it. Uh, well, no, that's like a very, again, like the Hunter S. Thompson is a perfect reference for this. That's the very famous story, especially in the media sphere. Do you remember things? Because it's about it, – it's just – it's sort of like a proto-CNN effect or commercial. It's been discussed a bit too. This no, is but – Yeah, no, but just like – yeah, it's just the, the way that like evidence is – it's actually important to think about the media effect. Yeah. You have the wrong makeup on. Yeah. So this then discusses – He just looked like he was trying to hide something. Simulmatic. He developed, like, predictive computer technology. Yeah. But uh, they, like, mentioned specifically that Nixon is the first free television president to understand television, while Gerald Ford was the first president to attempt to understand television. He had four TVs in his office, and he still always made the wrong PR decision. (laughs) Like, pardoning Nixon. So ITT is tied to Nixon, but they have a lot of other weird ties. Uh, So 
What ends up happening is they make contact with William V. Bro, who at this time is the head of clandestine operations in Latin America for the CIA in relation to the events that are coming up in the election because uh, the State Department at this time and uh, the group of 40? Group of 40? Yeah, Kissinger's advisory panel. Which is a group of eight or just a 40? Uh, The 40 committee. The 40 committee. uh, Believe that Allende is going to lose in a landslide. Based on what? Uh, Based on their polling data, which did not include any of the uh, poorest neighborhoods in Santiago, which is historically Allende's base, understandably. Yeah, I talked to all of my rich friends who live in Chile, and they tell me the right-wing guy's going to win. Like, you can just feel the energy in all of the, in all of the, uh, the wealthy neighborhoods in Santiago. Right, yeah. Like, I, I, uh, <laughs> based on who you just told, like, I don't know. Okay. It's very strange that the man who wants to cut all social services is uh, popular in the rich neighborhoods and not the poor. I'm yeah. shocked. Uh, so they're described in the congressional report as being a corporate nation unto itself. Okay. With What's a, that mean? a fully developed intelligence apparatus and access to internal CIA documentation. So... At this point, uh, John McCone sits on the board of directors for IGB. John McCone being, at this point, former DCI. Okay. Uh, He is also the head of the company. So when there's an issue and they are starting to get worried about this whole Chile thing, send McCone on over. And he sits down for lunch with Helms, current DCI. And Bill Donovan and Bill Colby, future DCI. Uh, they mention that IGC has already made some approaches to various military officials within the Chilean government, mm-hmm. which is an insane thing to say as a company. Uh, GM and Ford both oppose involvement, interestingly, uh, specifically because they have so much inventory there. And if the state would seize it, it would be a huge loss for them. They oppose. Wait, what do they oppose? Uh, intervention. Intervention into the Allende election. The Allende election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. Correct. They think that a constitutional crisis could result in that. Correct. Okay. They think that if they start backing Pinochet and the military generals too, then all of a sudden Allende is going to say, "Well, why am I going to let you keep your inventory here?" Okay, so they're just worried that it won't work. Yes. Uh, well, that's why they don't play either side. Yeah. No, I'm sure they're not just going to ignore. Yeah. Them. Like, yeah, they're going to wait. They fund and back both sides, and then do they just sit there and say, oh, well, it's, it's weird. But you got help from us, too, so you can't really be that mad. Uh, Bank of America agrees to shut down their Santiago office. Okay. Uh, they keep postponing it, and <laughs> IGT is getting very mad about this because Bank of America is keeping track of how popular Allende is in Chile. So they are sitting on fairly tight money. They're sitting like um, like three point something, right? Three point five million U.S. troops or whatever it is in Chile right now. Uh, yeah, specifically in so response like, to the yeah. seizure of Exxon. Yeah. So like again, so they're basically really in the crosshairs of this deal already. Like at the very end of the Allende administration, they're saying, "Okay, we're going to shut down Santiago. 
Yes, our well, DOS. The thing is that like these two exactly are developing together at a perfect perfect time. Like in a tactic capital flight from Chile. Yes. It seems like so Bank of America. Well, the plan is actually outlined very clearly in a telex that they sent. Okay. And what's that plan? Uh, so they are not going to allow any new credit from banks to ch Chile. Okay. They are going to slow deliveries and not allow shipping for spare parts. Mm -hmm. They all companies able to close their doors that are based in America will. Okay. And they will provide no assistance in a technical sense to any Chilean company. This is intended to cause a financial crisis. Which it does. Yes. And then they can blame Allende for this, which they do. Mm -hmm. Bro is bankrolling some of these operations. Bro? Yeah, B-R-O-E. He's the clandestine ops for Latin America. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but keep in mind, this is... 1971 these meetings are happening and they pledged seven figures to stop Allende. So we're talking millions in the 1970s. Uh, JP Neal is the director of international relations for ITT. Mm -hmm. uh, he is former Department of State Foreign Services. Okay. And a personal friend of Henry Kissinger. Okay. Yeah, and Yvonne Botten, who is the Latin American advisor to Kissinger. Okay. Say that again. Yvonne Yvonne Botten. That's a tough one. Yeah. She uh, comes out of the same training programs as J.P. Neal. Mm -hmm. they, they have worked together their entire careers, including in the same offices sometimes. So J.P. Neal starts making some phone calls to his friends at the Department of State. Okay. Points out that ITT owns 70% of the Chilean telephone company. Uh, and they put him in touch with Ed Corey, who is the current head of the Chilean office for Department of State, who is hardline anti-Pinocheist, or anti-Allendeist, hardline pro-Pinochet, Okay. Uh, actually, is probably one of the people who encourages Pinochet to jump into the coup at the time when he does. Okay. And this is like when he is like starting to like attempt to like yes. Pinochet. He also meets with Attorney General John Mitchell, which is how we are kind of smoothing over the fact that the CIA is specifically told the U.S. government is not getting involved in coup attempts in Chile because it is so unpopular it is almost guaranteed to fail and they will care. So what actually motivates them to carry it out? Uh, the financial crisis. So they, like, again, they did, did they not think that it would be prosecuted? You, so once they destroy the legitimacy of Allende's government and his popularity. Then they decide that it's now a, there's, there's now a, like, there's a cover for attempts. Bingo. A cover. You can um, now imagine that a, if there is, like, a potential successful subsection army that is willing to overthrow Allende. Correct. McCone and Helm sit down for another meeting. McCone describes what Allende is doing as uh, a campaign of extreme expropriation. Oh, he's nationalized like one or two industries? One industry. One industry. Of one industry. So the 40 committee sees Alessandro winning by 
winning by 40 percent mm-hmm. not just winning 40 percent of the vote winning by 40 percent they think that this election is going to run what 35 to 65 or something probably more than that 30 to 70 that is an, it would be an insane number yeah. in any situation. Uh, Helms is at this point starting his feud with Kissinger and Nixon, who are trying to gradually take the CIA under their control more so. Up until this point, the CIA is real freewheeling. They just let them do whatever the fuck. Yeah. Like, that's what, that's like it's not until the church committee that we even consider that maybe we should have some regulations on there. That's part of what the whole thing with Oswald was about. Yeah, Nixon and Kissinger want that. Like they're watching it and they're like, "I, I need that thing." Mm-hmm. Uh, the CIA is like, "But we really like being able to do whatever we want," and uh, Helms is the head of it. I almost thought they were fake for a stupid reason. Yeah, that they were that they would do this. Helms and Kissinger are having relentless disagreements about this because Helms is the only person in leadership in the U.S. government who accurately predicts that Allende will win the election in a landslide. Well, everybody else is saying that he's going to win. Yes, they uh, – either because they believe, like, really traditional anti-communist propaganda that this is a wildly unpopular program, which is the case for some of the more reactionary ones that, like, they just can't see a way that people would vote for this. Well, communism is proven time and again to be what the, the far right wing of our science says. Yeah, like – uh, what is his name? Ludicrous idea. Senator Lawrence McDonald. He's the one who dies in uh, the Korean aircraft flight that gets shot down by the Soviets. Mm-hmm. He's also the head of the John Birch Society, and he sits on the uh, Security Committee for the United States at this point. I feel like I'm going to be a John Birch Society member for the rest of my life. Yeah, probably. Oh, that man just fundamentally believes that, like, Allende faked the election while he didn't have power, but somehow controlled the voting machine. Oh, rigged. Yeah, he yeah, thinks rigged. he rigged the election from a position of weakness. Oh, God, yeah. Which is an incredible, incredible job by Allende. Um, Helms calls a man called named Gary Hardy on September 29th, who was also a representative of ICC. Uh, they call this the Chaos Plan. So the plan is to use Christian Democrats to cause a split there to create chaos within the government itself. The banks aren't going to be taking side, aren't taking sides, which just means they're pulling out of the country. So they are taking sides. And the issue with all of this is that ICC has previously successfully negotiated with Allende. This is not a man who they have found to be unreasonable. He allowed them to buy. 70% of the Chilean telephone company. That deal was negotiated under him. Mm-hmm. 70%. That is a significant margin. And ICC is making the argument that he is impossible to reason with. Other businesses at this point have successfully negotiated there as well. Yeah. The only one that could not would be ICC. No, ICC has successfully negotiated previously. Oh, Exxon okay. and the International Petroleum Company, one of their subsidiaries, are the only ones that can't. And it's because they were so exploitative and brutal that the government was shutting them down. Mm-hmm. So obviously we just nationalized the industry right afterwards. There is an entire mythology built around making sure, to this day, mm-hmm. 
that people think that Allende's policies were unpopular because they were unsuccessful. They were wildly successful when they were run in a normal functioning economy. They were extremely unsuccessful when banks wouldn't lend credit for anyone, when you couldn't get replacement parts for broken machinery shipped in, mm-hmm. and when you couldn't buy things. Obviously, your fiscal policies, it does not matter who you are. You could be the world's best economist. Given no, the situation you, you, where you, you have a kneecapped economy. Right, you can't beat that. There's an active, there are active uh, measures of sabotage that's taken, that's taken against the, the Chinese government. Correct. It's sanctions. But it's not like they're in free. Uh, Rohatton says that they, who is at this time the head of the board of directors, mm-hmm. says that they are unaware that ITT has made any overtures to help with the overthrow of Salvador Allende. And they knew they were moving the stone. Which, on the one hand, screams too little too late. And on the other hand, screams, so you got to take all the benefits and you had a built in fall guy. Who gets well paid for the rest of his life? He gets a severance of millions. Yeah, fuck it. I'll be your fall guy for a couple million bucks. Yeah, Christ. I did it. I don't do that day, everybody. Um, that was me. I, uh, yeah, sorry about that. So at some point, there's a whistleblower who comes. Colby blows the whistle on Helms and says what happened. Uh, again, yeah. self interested move. Colby gets to be DCI. So we're following up once again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bill Colby is no less vicious than Jesse Helms. Uh-huh. Uh, that said, he, like, I guess his brother never worked for a campaign in North Carolina where they would put out signs that said, uh, UNC is the University of Negroes and Communists. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is what Helms' brother did when he was a campaign staffer. Wow. Um, Wait, like as part of the campaign or just yeah. like as – The guy he was campaigning against was the president of UNC because that was one of the like really formative events for George Jackson was like seeing that campaign play out in front of his face mm-hmm. and be like, ah, neither of you are ever going to fucking help me because he's a good guy and uh, he's getting straight up slandered. They would post big posters of like black men at dinner with white women holding their hands. And be like, this is the world we want. It was an insane campaign, honestly. Uh, So finally, Nixon gives the green light. Green light for what? Uh, Intervention in Chile. Oh, the green light. Okay. Up to and including all necessary U-boats. So it's open season. Correct. And what, by what point is it open season? Uh, Pinochet is just grabbing power. And it's free. So it's. So this is early – this is late summer of 73. Okay, so not – the coup happened on September 11th. Yeah, so okay, so we're months getting, before. We're getting it down. Yeah, we are dropping machine guns off to kidnappers now. We are – The preparation has begun. Yeah, uh, and we have the leadership that we needed, right? We have these military leaders. Carlos Kraft is gone. Scherer is weak. He doesn't have the position to straight up issue the commands that he needs. At times, parts of the military are in open revolt. Uh, Absolute chaos going on in those uh, those units, defending against the effectively the Soviet invasion. Correct. Or you know a coup that is dominating their nation quite heavily. Yeah, for all of the like myths about Judeo Bolshevism, like the right actually carries coups out like this all the fucking time. 
you are actually backed by international finance capital. It's just that they're not Jewish. They're WAP from the United States. <laughs> but Pinochet is actually the threat that they pretend Judeo-Bolshevism is. Like, do you think Biafra's taking power if he's not backed by France, the U.S., and the Netherlands all at once? Right. <laughs> yeah, these people don't. Like, th that's the thing. And we talk about it with Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. These kinds of policies are wildly unpopular. Nobody wants to wake up one day and have their government be like, hey, by the way, I stripped you of all civil rights. Yeah, we privatized all your pensions. Oh, we should actually – yeah, I've got the entire list of us here for those of you who are on this directory – Advent of his, the beginning of his reign, think. Yeah. And are wildly unpopular, and most of them have persisted, or a, a good number of them have persisted, not most, but a good number have persisted, like, up until the very famous protests in January 2016. Yeah, the massive protests. Massive protests. Like, a lot of them were basically, yeah, Bolsheviks. The biggest one for me was the one that that made publication public, you know, insane stuff. So, the pension system... I'm not 100% familiar with everything about it, okay. uh, but it does strike me as very similar to what is done in Italy, also under CIA influence, because it is carried out by Lucio Gelli and Deep Two, which is this mass privatization campaign that they... When did this begin? Uh, 60s. 60s. Interesting. Yeah, no, so the pension system they were running entirely by, uh, not by Italian, uh, by Italians, but by Germans, right? Mm-hmm. There is a very big pension company that you don't see, but I think that um, it really comes down to that um, a lot of the rest of these states just are part of capitalist imitations and transforming capitalism. Yeah, Which is imagine. funny because actually getting poor capitalists to fuck with people is wrong. Like it was the lack of FDI that helped to cause them to pursue certain economic policies that were less stable. That were less feasible. The entire idea of the Chicago Group was that you were going to like liberalize the system in order to invert the pension system. Chicago is the only general style economic policy that went all over the country across the world. We're going to see what a Starbucks, what a Hazy you've made, and we're going to tell you that. Except they don't, for whatever reason. So you rely a lot on um, like exchange rate concepts and on uh, getting loans from the two that are nominally fiat currency and you're relying a lot on like import substitution and so that all works really well except all of the money will be spent up because it's the Chicago group it happens it happened to all of Latin America when it was um, it was right after the oil crash where you used FDI to help fund the entirety of Latin America by that point they were already completely bankrupt I'm getting way off on this but I just remember no I mean yeah it's that's uh, fine yeah no so the actual reforms that were instituted So, although our show is, uh, the de facto slogan is uh, a podcast for alcoholics, it could also have a de facto slogan of, we read shitty reactionary writings so you don't have to. Oh, yeah. Um, we, ha we translate shitty writings so that you don't have to. Yeah. Yes. So, what's really 
striking about Chile is that in a lot of ways it predicts a turn that comes later with the haute-bourgeois style right libertarianism. Mm -hmm. So we have this shift from like absolute freedom means the freedom also means the freedom to compete and the freedom to engage in the free market because we have the freedom of choice like we have all of these other freedoms that are absolute. Mm -hmm. Right? My right to swing my arm ends at your fist. That is how rights work in this like idealized version. Uh, over the next, so I, I would say that part of the problem is the fallout from Chile and the realization that when Chile was enforcing the most state power, the most aggressively, that's when these reforms are the most successful because they are completely dominating the social life of the public. Yeah. It's important to note that a lot of the, especially the most successful states, like we always, not we, uh, you always hear the um, classic formulation what we have is socialism, but it is capitalism. But this is also true in the United States where it's the most socialist rich state. American. Socialism for the cronies and then capitalism for <laughs> the rich in the sense that the intention of these rules is that they're going to be applied to basically everybody else in the country. There is one group this does not apply to. They get to keep the old pension system even today. That is the military. They get to keep the old pension system that is state that is taxpayer funded. You're telling me the military coup didn't fuck with the military's money? Yeah, the military coup didn't fuck with the military's money. They also didn't money. privatize the military. They didn't privatize the military. I mean, yeah, no, they did not. Yeah, they did not fuck with the military. The military got to keep all the coup. So part of the reason they didn't privatize All of the it, failed Allende pro Yeah, the military got to keep it. At least part of the reason they didn't privatize the military is because, like, private military contractors as they exist today didn't exist yet. Yeah. You still have, like, Soldier of Fortune magazines where people are, like, writing into the editor and being like, send me to South Africa to fight for Rhodesia. Uh, and the only, like, major private militaries you have are either, like, private detective corporations. Mm -hmm. Baldwin Phelps is now owned by Academy, uh, which was Blackwater. Uh, and at the time, you have Baldwin Phelps and that type in the U.S., but ab abroad you have Augenter Press and, uh, oh, Paladin Group, which is Otto Skorzeny's group. Uh, they're both present, but Skorzeny is – with Pinochet as a, as a political advisor. He's just hanging out. Otto Skorzeny always seems to always be everywhere. Uh, he is one of the most mobile people I've ever seen. For a man who is as old as he is, he spends more time on planes than fucking some CEOs. But the failure of Pinochet's reforms without... So in the beginning, the state power is being exerted as absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. 3,200 people killed. 3,000 imprisoned. 200,000 have to flee the country. Mm -hmm. uh, almost all information coming out of the government is a lie. Within prisons, rape, removal of fingernails, and electrocution of men's genitalia are all commonplace. Uh, at one point, there is a woman who uh, leads a prison called Vendaseki. We talked about this before. We actually did not. We talked about it on the episode that we got rid of. Oh, no. Um, okay. Her name is Ollenbach. She is a German. Her father uh, was a Nazi. Okay. Proudly. Uh, 
she she is thrilled at the idea of torturing people. She really enjoys it. Uh, ultimately, she uh, likes to focus on Kanye because this is amusing to her for whatever fucking reason. Uh, she has a dog that she trains to rape female prisoners. Okay. Uh, which she names after a communist leader. Which one? Uh, it was a leader of the Chilean communist uh, Volodya, who is uh, the former head of the Communist Party of Chile and is currently in exile. Okay. Um, she's also involved in Project Andrea, which is the Chilean equivalent to Project Coast in South Africa, uh, or like Battelle Memorial and uh, Amreed in the United States. The mm -hmm. bioweapons slash assassinations program. Uh, it's evil. It is exactly what you would expect it to be. But... The important part about this woman is that the Chilean government at this point is very open about their attachment to Nazi Germany. They're very open about their attachment to historical fascism and setting themselves up in this line. And there's a lot, often an argument that neoliberalism is in some ways separated from fascism, mm -hmm. which I guess is true if you look at it from the position of the old-style corporatism, which eventually even Pinochet leans into. No, he does. I think in the I think the Bundle of Rights also probably ties that in. A secure neoliberal state implies that it's secure in two principles. One is basically unless you mean to get free things, you can't be hated by everyone in the same way. And so Marx probably can't do it for us under Germany too well as before, but renationalized Bundle is probably possible. Right. So Pinochet is both ultimately failing both principles. But the Bundle really just sets it up as a paradox. Yeah, most of his coalition of eight is broken up, right? The Chicago boys are gone. The Gremulists don't back him anymore, really. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, he is, like, that Gremulists drop him pretty quick because they all fuck off to Argentina where they can really get their Catholic thing on. But most of these groups have to leave him because ultimately he is not ideological ideologically compatible with at least the dream of the Chicago boys, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, what he is compatible with is Ingrid Olderoth, who uh, makes the statement during an interview long after the government is ended. This is in the 90s that she says this. She said, I have been a Nazi since I was a child, since I learned the best period that Germany lived was when the Nazis were in power. There was work and tranquility, and there were no shameless deeds. So almost none of that was true, again. Like, there's this real effort to rewrite history in all of these projects. Uh, Gramsci makes the point that the big flaw of Mussolini is that he uh, is uh, aching for a past that never was. And in a Hegelian or Marxist sense, that it is, fascism represents a kind of impediment to the flow of history. It is this desperate attempt to cling on to something that you can't. Uh, and in a lot of ways, less so with Pinochet economically, mm -hmm. but certainly with Pinochet's like surrounding ideologues politically, 
there was a lot of reference to the uh, southern tone unity or like references to being Spaniards, uh, which of course is like a meaningless qualification at this point. Like Spain as a country is fairly unified most of the time they're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were, they're very proud of that fact. But it's this history that never was. And trying to create a fit future that cannot be based on it. Uh, it's and we talk about we, Marxists like to say the word idealism a lot. They do, that's true. Uh, and a lot of them don't really understand what it means, but in a lot of ways that is quite literally what fascism is idealist, not in the sense that they want it to be, which is this idea that uh, like anything that is not made of stone is idealism, right? Anything that is not hard and ta tangible and malleable. And that's not what it means. Right. What, what does this say? This is an effort to take ideas yeah. and forge material reality in their image. Rather than forging ideas that are reflected in material reality, fundamentally changing the way reality works so that it can match up with the picture in your head. Right. Or an imaginary picture. Yeah. 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 Congratulations. You get utopia. This is neither Edward Well, and Gramsci makes the point that Caesar was a, a great force of the will for history to advance. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, he is a proto-democrat. He is proto-bourgeois. He does a lot of these things that we see that come not long after him that are very important. Mm -hmm. And he says, and he writes a polemic against him where he says, well, Caesar would be ashamed of you, Mussolini. You're a force trying to hold on to a history that never was. You're pathetic. Mm -hmm. He was like Caesar and Napoleon, who you claim to idolize. Both of them would look down on you with disgust. Napoleon especially. That's a, a pathetic old fart according to the uh, most important <laughs> part of Napoleon's uh, – one of the most important things that was said is that, like, you know, this – man of history can't fear the future. And it's like, you know, that's just the way he wholeheartedly – that's why I advise everybody here. If you want to be a Napoleonist, I think you should invest in Bitcoin. Wait to do it tonight. Please do not. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the future, bro. You should invest in... Uh, invest in timber stabilization. Timber coin. Yeah, timber coin. Which you can access via our Patreon. Yeah, we're uh, doing an IPO later. I promise we won't rush. Don't worry. I'm doing an IPO later. What are you offering? Shares are going at uh, fucking $400 a piece for uh, timber stabilization. Oh, you're, you're doing the stock. You're publicly traded. Yeah. Okay. We're doing our IPO. Oh, you're doing the classic. Yeah. We're doing a, a real a real pump and dump. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to commit like seven SEC crimes in one podcast. I'm going to yeah. get it. Well, it's all premeditated. So it's all on the, uh, it's all on the evidence team. That's, that's how it works for me. That's true. When they tag us for it, we were set up. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Timber Sycamore. Uh, next episode, we're going to be finishing up Chile. And we hope that you all have a very nice time. I've been your host, Michael Petricelli. I am Hayden Dupree. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>